0: We are in the book of Luke right now, uh, working our way slowly through that. Uh, If you're using your black Bibles, our scripture reading can be found on page 1021. If you have your own Bible or your own Bible app, uh, we are in Luke 4, uh, the first 13 verses. Again, it's probably a a familiar passage or at least a familiar passage. Uh, episode in the life of Jesus to you, uh, The Temptation of Jesus Christ. Would you stand with me for the reading of God's Word? And Jesus, full of the Holy Spirit, returned from the Jordan and was led by the Spirit in the wilderness for 40 days, being tempted by the devil. And he ate nothing during those days, and when they were ended, He was hungry. The devil said to him, If you are the Son of God, command this stone to become bread. And Jesus answered him, It is written, Man shall not live by bread alone. The devil took him up and showed him all the kingdoms of the world in a moment of time and said to him, To you I will give all this authority and their glory. For it has been delivered to me, and I give it to whom I will. If you then will worship me, it will all be yours. And Jesus answered him, It is written, You shall worship the Lord your God, and him alone you shall serve. And he took him to Jerusalem and set him on the pinnacle of the temple and said to him, If you are the Son of God, throw yourself down from here, for it is written, He will command his angels concerning you to guard you, and on their hands they will bear you up, lest you strike your foot against a stone. And Jesus answered him, It is said, You shall not put the Lord your God to the test. And when the devil had ended every temptation, he departed from him until an opportune time grass withers and the flowers fade, and yet the word of the Lord remains forever. You may be seated. So after three chapters of introduction, uh, the work of Jesus, the ministry of Jesus begins in earnest. He has been born in Bethlehem, uh, circumcised and dedicated in Jerusalem, He's been raised in Nazareth and baptized in the Jordan. He has been anointed for the work that God has sent him to accomplish. The Holy Spirit has come down on him in a very unique and special way. The Father in heaven has pronounced verbally and vocally over him, You are my son, I am so pleased with you. And so what is the first thing that Jesus does in his then uh, public ministry? Before he ever heals anyone or raises anyone from the dead, before he calls anyone to follow him, before he even preaches a single word. I don't know if you've noticed, the only thing we've heard from Jesus so far, we heard from him when he was 12 years old. So we're now in chapter 4. Of Luke, and Jesus has not spoken yet. Before any of this happens, Jesus is led into the the wilderness to face Satan himself and to be tempted or tested. Uh, The temptations of Jesus are something that uh, raise a lot of questions for us. Uh, And then, even if we don't have questions, sometimes we don't have questions because we're just wrong about our assumptions. Do you ever see that in yourself? Like, do you have any questions? No. And then it turns out, oh, I don't have any questions because I'm not smart enough to have any questions. Uh, Sometimes we approach the Bible and we're like, that's pretty clear. And we're completely wrong in our understanding. Why was Jesus tempted? What was specifically tempting about these three tests. In some ways, uh, the temptations of Jesus are very unique to him because he's tempted as the Son of God. These are temptations that uh, if he gives in, it's not just a, a matter of like, oh, I guess I shouldn't have done that. I'll do better next time. These are temptations that if he gives in, the salvation of mankind cannot happen. In other ways, he's tempted in ways that are very common to man, Uh, ways that because as he is a man, a human, he is in the form of man, he's one of us, he's tempted in all the ways that we are tempted. And so this is how we'll look at the passage, probably not in a very uh, Presbyterian and orderly fashion, so you 'll probably have to go back and forth if you 're taking notes sometimes we 'll talk about jesus 's unique temptation and then how it 's a common temptation for all of us that is except for the setting because the setting is pretty uh, orderly so we 'll just go through that right now and uh, well set things up so if we uh if we want to look at the setting. In its entirety, we want to back up to verse 38 of the previous chapter, where the genealogy of Jesus ends. And you'll remember from last week, Luke's genealogy is very unique, uh, even in all Jewish custom, in that Luke goes backwards. He talks about the son of the son of the son of, uh, rather than saying the father of the father of the father of. And he goes backwards, and in verse 38, he goes back all the way to the son of Enos, the son of Seth the son of Adam, the son of God. And so if you are wondering why Luke inserts a genealogy at the end of his introduction rather than where you would normally expect it at the very beginning of an introduction, uh, this is why. Uh, We are told that Jesus is the son of Adam, the son of God, and immediately we are told that Jesus was tempted by Satan you and I are supposed to make the connection. You're supposed to read that and then see that Jesus is tempted by Satan and understand that Jesus is coming and doing something that Adam and no descendant since Adam has been able to do. And that is to consistently resist temptation and live in perfect obedience under God's love and under God's law. Jesus is the second Adam. Uh, We see it in the New Testament. Paul, in two of his letters, refers to Jesus as the second Adam. He has come to do what neither Adam, nor you or I, nor any other descendant since Adam has been able to do. And so that's part of the setting And then in verse 1, the setting tells us that Jesus, being full of the Spirit, is led by the Spirit into the wilderness. So lest you and I get this idea that Jesus had just gone out for a a spring walk, and he happened to find himself in the wilderness, and Satan came in to, to thwart God's plans, we learn here that this is God's plan, that the Spirit is leading Jesus into the wilderness in order to be tempted, in order to be tested by Satan. This is an important thing to remember, that that God tests us with various trials, even while Satan tempts us in the midst of those same trials. And so just a real quick insert of application We've just heard the Father pronounce over the Son, I am so pleased with you. And we've now learned that the Father has led the Son into the wilderness to be tested. God's pleasure over you is not measured by whether you're having trials or difficulties. Just something to to think about. Jesus is led into the wilderness, we're told. The wilderness uh, in the Old Testament is a sort of this constant geographical location that we sinned and our sin ruined the world. That wilderness exists because sin has affected the world. And in that sense, Consider how different Jesus' temptations are here from Adam's. Here is Jesus, the second Adam. But if you think about this, Adam was in paradise when he was tempted. Adam was in a place that was uniquely designed and perfect for Adam to exist in obedient communion with God. Jesus faces his temptations in the wilderness, In the brokenness of the world. Adam was surrounded by abundance. Adam had all the food he could possibly desire. We were told he was given every tree in the garden to eat from, save one. He was full, most likely. He had probably just come off a meal, even. Jesus in the wilderness has been fasting for 40 days. And in case we try to get uber spiritual, Luke puts in as clearly as he can, he was hungry. Uh, You would be too. I mean, it's possible to fast for 40 days. I know people who have. I haven't. Uh, But uh, with the right uh, liquid intake, you can do it. You can fast. But you know what? You're going to be really hungry at the end of it. Uh, Jesus was hungry. Adam Remember, had a companion. When Adam faced the temptation of Satan, he had a companion, perfectly designed as his helpmeet, like to balance his weaknesses. Like also, this companion had never sinned. Like they were they were partners, able to help each other in their temptation. Jesus is absolutely alone when he faces temptation. Adam faced one temptation and gave in. Jesus faces 40 days of temptation. And it culminates. It either culminates with these three or these three are samplings of it. But it's 40 days that Jesus is being tempted by Satan. And speaking of the 40 days, even that is to give us a setting, to give us, uh, to remind us uh, that Jesus is Both the second Adam and Jesus is the fulfillment of Israel. Consider how many times 40 days or 40 years enter into the Old Testament story of God's people. Israel was in the wilderness for 40 years being tested by God and failing almost every test. Moses was in the wilderness He lived in the wilderness for 40 years before being called to save Israel, to deliver Israel from slavery. Moses was also uh, on Mount Sinai for 40 days. And while he was on Mount Sinai for 40 days receiving God's instruction and God's law, the people were, well, giving in to temptation. Elijah went into the wilderness for 40 days and was cared for and sustained by God. The spies, if you remember the spies, they went into the promised land for 40 days. And 10 of the 12 spies gave in to temptation and failed the test. Again, all of this points us to Jesus being the one who comes to do what you and I cannot do for ourselves. By the way, that's... That's the most important application of the temptations of Jesus. That Jesus does for you what you cannot do for yourself. And a lot of times, and even at the end, we'll talk a little bit about uh, how this is an example of that. You can draw examples from this on how you might face temptation, but that is not primary. It may not even be secondary. Uh, the most important thing to see in Jesus and his facing of temptations is that he does this for you in your place as a substitute, not as an example, even as we can draw from his example. So Jesus faces these temptations. Some are unique because he's the son of God. Some are because he is These are temptations that are common to mankind. Either way, his victory over the sin, his victory over temptation, his victory over Satan is for you, is counted for you by the Father. And so I mentioned already Jesus is hungry, so that kind of brings us into the first temptation. So let's look at these three temptations, how Jesus responds to them how they are unique to Jesus as the Son of God, and how they're very common temptations that you and I face regularly. So, first in verses 3 and 4, the devil said to him, If if you are the Son of God, also, okay, so let's stop right there. If in Greek can also be since. uh, And we do that too with if. Like we say if, but we all actually mean since. Like we don't really mean if the sun rises tomorrow The kids are going to school. I mean, we're not wondering if the sun is going to rise. Like, we say to our kids, hey, if this happens, then. And what we really mean is, since we already know this is going to happen, then. It's not that Satan is questioning or trying to get Jesus to question if he's the son of God. What Satan is doing in these temptations is saying, since you're the son of God, you deserve things. Since you're the son of God... Tell this stone to become bread. I mean, he's he's just saying, you can do it, so why not do it here? So, as far as a unique temptation to Jesus, I will confess to you, I have never been tempted to turn stone into bread. Anyone here been tempted to turn a stone into bread? Have you? I've never been tempted to fly like a bird and land on the lawn of the White House. Never never been tempted. I hear it's against the law to do that. Never been tempted to break that law. I've never been tempted to scale the outside of the Empire State Building with a woman clutched in my hand. I hear that's frowned upon also. Never been tempting. Never never really thought about that. So like, we look at this temptation, and so there is a side of this temptation that Jesus faces uniquely because he's the Son of God. Since you're the Son of God... Do this thing. And so what is the temptation? It can't be that physical act, can it? Because Jesus will turn water into wine. And that's not frowned upon. Except maybe by some of our Baptist friends. But, no, sorry. Uh, Jesus will turn bread into more and more and more and more and more bread. So that's not the issue of... It's not that the miracle itself is an issue. So what is the temptation? We have to consider how it's a temptation as far as uh, a temptation that's common to man then. Because you and I, we tend to, rather than worshiping the Trinity, we tend to worship one of two other trinities in our lives. We tend to either worship uh, the Trinity of pleasure and leisure and affluence or we worship the trinity of my wants, my needs, my desires. This is a temptation because uh, you and I are constantly tempted to take the very gifts that God has given us and assume that those gifts exist just for my benefit. That if I have an ability, it's in order to care for myself. If I have a gift, it's in order to take care of me and mine. God has given... Jesus as the son of God the ability to turn stone to bread the temptation isn't in the act of turning stone to bread the temptation is in not trusting God the temptation is in listen assuming that well, God God wants you to be happy God wants you to be healthy this bread would make you both happy and healthy what is the problem See, his response sheds light on it because he quotes from Deuteronomy 8.3. He's recalling a time, uh, it's, a, it's, run, it's running through the history of Israel when they were wandering in the desert and God provides manna for them. And in the provision of manna, through providing manna, they learn man does not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. And so Jesus isn't saying to Moses, "Uh, I don't need food. I had a really good quiet time this morning. That's not what God is even telling Israel. He's not saying, you don't need food. You just need more Bible. No, the manna itself is the thing that he's saying, look, you don't need bread. This manna that I'm providing you, the word, you can trust me. The words that I say that I'm going to protect you, that I'm going to provide for you, that I'm going to care for you, you can trust those words. Are we willing to wait or do we deify our desires? Do we see no reason not to meet our desires that we've elevated to needs? Jesus is tempted, in the same way you and I are, to use his gifts to take care of himself. And he says that's not trusting God. Okay, so moving on. uh, The next temptation, verses 5 to 8. And the devil took him and showed him all the kingdoms of the world in a moment of time and said to him, to you I will give all this authority and their glory For it has been delivered to me, and I give it to whom I will. If you then will worship me, it will all be yours. And Jesus answered him, It is written, You shall worship the Lord your God, and him only shall you serve. It's a a strange temptation, isn't it? It seems strange. It seems odd. Was Jesus really weighing the pros and cons of worshiping Satan over worshiping the Father? That doesn't seem likely, does it? Is that the temptation? I don't think that is the temptation because it says that he, he took him up and he showed him all the kingdoms of the world in one moment. And then, and then he says, you know, hey, you know, your father gave this to me and, and I get to do whatever I want with it. And, I mean, if you, if you want it, uh, I'll give it to you. I mean, you can have, I'll let you, you can be the king. You can be all the glory, everything. It'll all be yours. We just, let's, just, let's just do this one final thing and I'll just give it to you. You know, Scripture does tell us that Satan is the ruler of this world, that he's the the prince of the powers of the air. Uh, That's because it is where God has cast him temporarily. Uh, He has temporary uh, sort of rulership, but only in as far as the Father allows. And it is only until Christ's second return when he is cast into fire forever. And so in one sense, this is a unique to Jesus alone temptation because what the devil is saying is, look, I know the father has a plan for how you're going to get this. What if we do it an easier way? Like your father's plan is suffering and pain and his wrath and his judgment for their sin and your death. And then you get all this. What if I just give it to you now? I mean, I'll give it to you now. It's, it's your father's desire for you to have this anyway. So let's just, I'll give it to you, and we'll accomplish your father's desires, and all you have to do is worship me. And so where it crosses over into the temptation that's common to man, it is the ends justify the means. Do you ever compromise your worship of God in order to avoid a hard thing? Or in order to get something that you want? Maybe it's even a good thing. Maybe it's a thing that God says he wants for you. And you think, well, if this is what God wants for me, then how I get it must be okay. You know, the best example in the Old Testament of how that's just totally not true is the life of Joseph. I mean, Joseph says, you know, it was God's will that I would be here in Egypt for the saving of many people. But he also in that same sentence says, you intended wickedness. You intended evil, but God intended good. The brothers didn't get to say, well, look, We were just instruments in the Redeemer's hand for the saving of many souls. I mean, really, you should be thanking us, Joseph. I mean, this is, I mean, and we'll, it'll be okay. And we'll, I mean, you can keep the throne and all that. But, I mean, you should be telling people that you wouldn't be anywhere without your brothers today. That's not, that's not how it works. We don't sin and then God blesses and then we say, oh, he must have wanted me to sin. No, God is just that merciful. God is certainly kind, and it's a great reminder that even our sin can't thwart his plans. The temptation though is to say I'd I'd rather I'd rather be comfortable than honor God with my whole life. So then third temptation Also, and you probably, if you've read these temptations in Matthew, you know that the second and third temptations are flipped in Matthew and Luke. So Luke has them in the order we're reading them. Matthew has the second and third flipped. And come to Sunday school, we'll talk about my theories on why he does that. But we don't have time for that right now. Uh, So here we are, the third temptation Well, let's stop right there for a moment. So this third temptation, again, it's unique to Jesus, but also common to man. An example of how you and I are tempted. Uh, This time, uh, Satan decides to uh, uh, jujitsu, kind of use Jesus' own momentum. He's like, oh, you like throwing Scripture around? I know the Bible, too. How do you like that? So here's passages I've read in the Bible, and he quotes from... Uh, these are actually direct quotes from Psalm 91. You can read those uh, today. And he says, "Look, uh, just you know, obviously, didn't, didn't, didn't I just hear your father say how much he loves you, how pleased he is with you? Well, since since that's true, I mean, th- I mean, throw yourself down." I mean, he says he loves you. He, and he says he wouldn't even, he's not even going to let you stub your toe. Not even stub your toe. So, I mean, just throw yourself down so you can really know how much God loves you. But the issue is a matter of does faith trust God or does faith test God? And I know sometimes we look at this and we we say, well, the temptation is that, you know, he's going to make a big spectacle of himself and then all the people will be like, wow, that must be the son of God. But the temptation, even in how it's worded, is how can you know God really loves you? I mean, you you need to test whether God loves you and let him show you once and for all. Do we trust God or do we test God? You know, something you may have noticed or maybe not, uh, every scripture Jesus quotes is from Deuteronomy. Uh, He quotes, uh, all three of his quotations are from uh, the book of Deuteronomy. It's again, it's another indicator that Jesus is the fulfillment of Israel because Deuteronomy is the, it's the, the name of the book means the second giving of the law. And so they are just on their way into the promised land. And in Deuteronomy, Moses recalls and recites the history of God's people, basically from Sinai to the edge of the promised land and all that they faced and all that God spoke to them. And, uh, you know, they're coming to the end of their 40-year banishment in the wilderness. Here is Jesus at the end of his 40-day fast. It's, It's interesting that he quotes from Deuteronomy. In quoting from Deuteronomy, he, he, he even more emphasizes that he identifies with us as his brothers and sisters. I mean, he starts out by saying, listen, it's written, man shall not live by bread alone. And essentially saying, if man is not to do this, I will not do this because I am counted with them. These laws aren't written to the Son of God. These laws are written to man and how we would worship and how we would obey and how we would serve God. And Jesus in quoting these is saying, I count, I am counted among God's people. I submit to the Father's law and the Father's will. Jesus is the fulfillment of law before he's an example of law-keeping. So Jesus is then, in this passage, shown to be the better and perfect Adam, who is the Son of God, who perfectly obeys the Father and trusts the Father. Jesus is shown to be the better and perfect Israel. He obeys God's law submits to God's law even through trial and suffering Jesus is the representative and substitute of God's people he's our representative and substitute before God and here he shows that he is our representative and substitute even before Satan Jesus does what what Adam and you and I could never do And so as far as a secondary thing, just things to notice both in this passage and in our lives of facing temptation. This passage confirms that temptations often come when you are weak. I mean, there's that interesting passage in, in first, I think it's first Kings 19 when Elijah Uh, He runs off into the wilderness. He's scared uh, for his life. And he lays down under the broom tree and he prays to God that he might die. And then we're told that the angel of the Lord comes and wakes him and gives him some bread. And so, you know, obviously, sometimes a nap and a snack are all you really need to be encouraged by God. Like, sometimes you are tempted because you really are physically weak and tired. Those are times that we are tempted. It's good to be aware of that. Temptations come also when you are on the verge of something good. Jesus is at the front end of his ministry and he is tempted to throw it all away. Temptations happen most of the time for us as God's people, because it's it's not something evil we're tempted by, but something good that we're willing to compromise in order to get. And then remembering that temptations come from Satan and they're designed for your failure. Tests come from God and they're designed for your encouragement. And then one last thing about examples of facing temptation. Do you ever notice that Jesus doesn't, you know, Jesus doesn't rely on his own strength to thwart Satan's temptations. Jesus doesn't even rely on his relationship with the Father. Jesus relies on Scripture to answer temptation. Jesus, and remember, again, this is Jesus, human being, Jesus. Like he didn't, he wasn't born with like a Bible app uploaded in his brain, like just ready to call on. Jesus learned scripture the same way you and I learned scripture. He had to memorize it, he had to be taught it. He had to sit through the boring times. I mean, imagine knowing Deuteronomy so well that you know that there's actually parts of it that could be helpful to you. That's, that's how well Jesus knew Deuteronomy. The psalmist says, I've, I've hidden your word in my heart, God, so that I might not sin against you. Uh, there's a real promise that, that God's word is intended to be a help and a strength for us in times of temptation. We're told that the devil went away. When when the devil had ended every temptation, he departed from him until an opportune time. So it's not that the devil throws up his hands and he's like, Man, you're too strong for me. I am. I apologize. I, I should have known better. I, I will back down. It says that he went away until an opportune time. There is, uh, I think it's John Owen in uh, his book on temptation and sin. He says there's never a ceasefire with sin and temptation. There's never peace. There's never a truce or a treaty. If you are not being tempted... It's because Satan is simply waiting for a more opportune time. He despises God. He despises God's children. Many, uh, many scholars, and I, I tend to agree with them, see Jesus, uh, see Satan, the opportune time coming at the end of Jesus' ministry. This time not in the wilderness, this time in another garden this time facing the second Adam in a garden and saying, really? Will you die for them? Really, would you take all of their sin? You'll... So, Leonard's arrogance and pride like you'll die, you're willing to be counted as that arrogant, proud man. That that temper, you're willing to count, you're willing to be counted as a man who can't control his temper. You're willing to be counted as a, a, a person who puts all of their identity in their stuff, in their accomplishments, in their children. You're willing for all of that. You're You're willing to let God count all of that against you And pay the penalty that they all deserve. You'll do that for them? And he does. And he faces every temptation that we would face. And he faces temptations that you and I will never face. And through all of it, he trusts his Father. Through all of it, he doesn't sin. He experiences everything we experience just without sinning so that he could take our sin on him so that we could be saved, so that we could come and celebrate, so that we could be reminded that, that, that his death paid for us that we are tempted, tried, and often failing. And he was tempted and tried and never failed. Let's pray. Thank you, God, for your astounding mercy to us that you would send your son to endure all of our trials and temptations, to succeed in them, to honor you perfectly and still die in our place as though he deserved the punishment. Jesus, we thank you. Would you give us strength to to flee from temptation? Would you In your spirit's presence give us strength to resist the devil. Thank you that you're not simply a a goody two shoes, better older brother, showing us how we should be. But you are our representative. You took on sin and temptation for us instead of us so that we could bear your righteousness even as you bore our sin. We thank you and praise you. Amen.